0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 211. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. I'm your host, Riley Bowman, today joined by Mr. Matthew Marister. Hey Riley and hey all the listeners. How y'all doing? I'm doing fantastic. I cannot complain. Got a little uh, rain and snow last night here in the Denver area, uh, but nothing we can't handle. Hopefully things are warming up for you out out in uh, Ohio.
1: Yeah, at least for a couple hours and then we'll get some rain and then we'll get some snow, I'm sure, by tomorrow and then it'll be sunny again. So we have the bipolar weather system here. Yeah, yeah. So
0: anyway, hey, We've got a pretty awesome episode planned for you guys today. Lots of great news, uh, stories, of course. We've got several fantastic Justified Save stories we want to share as well. Um, Today's news, just previewing previewing what we've got coming up. A little bit of coverage on the March for Our Lives uh, thing that happened on Saturday over the weekend. There Uh, was a march?
1: What's that? There was some sort of march you mentioned? Yeah,
0: was there a march? uh, I don't know. a, a, A movement they claim? I don't know um hang on a sec i've got somebody knocking at my door
1: he's a very busy man obviously you can see nobody ever knocks on my door anyway
0: hey guys sorry about that i had a little three-year-old uh knocking at the door for some reason <laughs> uh had to send him on his way going <laughs> so back all right so previewing some of our stories coming up today we're gonna talk about the march for our lives we're gonna talk about uh Some of the things going on in the private sector relating to gun control, a story about Citigroup that came out just a few days ago, pretty, uh, I would say that's almost as scary as potential, you know, gun control legislation. Um, We're going to talk about, well, Remington finally now is announcing uh, some financial restructuring, a.k.a. bankruptcy. We kind of previewed that a few weeks ago, kind of gave you a heads up that that was coming. Well, that's now official, it looks like. But uh, don't miss today's Justified Save stories. Um, Plus, the main story, now I promise you, those of you listening to the podcast, I guarantee you, I am going to get hate mail tomorrow. Uh, I'm not looking forward to it, but I just know it's going to come because we're going to open up this big old can of... I don't know what to call it. It was a can of worms for sure. Um, there's a gentleman that wrote an article called The Path Forward on Guns. We're going to talk about it. There's some interesting things in there. All right. So, dare I say, dare I use the word compromise, Matthew? Hmm. Yeah. That's a, always a controversial thing
1: to bring up. Right, right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's, right.
1: it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good compromise if you get what you want. It's a bad compromise if you don't. So it's all in the <laughs> eye of the beholder, right? <laughs> all right, guys. So today's episode is
0: brought to you by Guardian Nation. Go check out guardiannation.com. Uh, working on getting some additional, some new uh, training videos up in the members only area. Working on uh, getting some other cool things lined up for you guys. Uh, those that are already members. But if you're not already a member, go to guardiannation.com. Check it out today's episode also brought to you by next level trainings cert pocket pistols the the little tiny micro pistol subcompact whatever uh i am just so happy that they brought that to to be you know included in their line of products absolutely yeah uh, frankly i think that that product is probably more useful for a lot of concealed carriers than the traditional you know glock 17 size Right here that I have, you know, this is the full size one. I don't have yet the pocket pistol one personally. I I do get some time on it. Jacob's got one. I I do need to get one. Uh, Just haven't gotten that order placed yet. I've had other things that I needed to put my money towards. So anyway, I'll get one of those picked up here pretty quick, I imagine. So, Cert Pocket Pistol, go check it out. We're big fans. Dry fire practice is really good to do. Okay we've been doing this segment recently. I uh, hope that Andrew will continue to, to do this for us because we enjoy having it. And it's been a popular segment on the podcast. And that is this uh, case of the week segment that he does for us. And so I'm getting it ready to launch here. So it is time for case of the week. What do we got from Andrew Branca this week? I don't know.
2: Let's listen in. Thanks, Concealed Carry Podcast, for having me back on for another Law of Self-Defense case of the week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawOfSelfDefense.com. This case of the week is provided for educational purposes only. If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with an attorney in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's case of the week is Commonwealth We Storms in a March 13, 2018 decision out of the Pennsylvania Superior Court, which is Pennsylvania's mid-level appellate court, so between their trial court and their Supreme Court. This case involves an apparent member of the sheepdog faction of the self-defense community who equipped himself with a fake CCW badge and a bucket full of poor judgment and put himself in a position where he killed a man and got himself sentenced to as long as 20 years in prison, all for no particularly good reason. This case involves the appellant, Mark Storms, who, while attending a Sunday church service with his wife and young son, would end up shooting and killing the decedent, Robert Braxton. The decedent appears to have been somewhat mentally disturbed, and he showed up just after the church service had started, and almost immediately got into a loud verbal dispute, including his using obscene language, seating inside the crowded church. Church ushers tried to calm him down, but an associate pastor noticed this only seemed to be making the decedent more agitated, so he had the ushers back away and directed someone to call the police. Once the decedent was no longer being engaged by the ushers, he appeared to calm down. Enter the appellant, who decided that not enough was being done about the decedent and his misbehavior. The appellant, who had no authority within the church and was not a law enforcement officer, decided to personally intervene into what, by all appearances, had been a largely resolved conflict. The appellant approached the decedent and asked him to step outside, But the decedent declined. The appellant then flashed the decedent his badge. This was not, of course, an actual law enforcement badge because the appellant was not law enforcement. It was one of those fake CCW badges that anybody can order on the Internet. Despite this effort to portray some position of authority to the decedent, the only possible reason for flashing a badge... The decedent immediately identified the badge as fake and told the appellant so in what witnesses would describe as colorful language. At this point, the appellant could have simply decided his bluff had been called and gone back to his own seat, but as one might expect from someone who was carrying around a fake badge in the first place, he decided to escalate the confrontation. He did so by showing the decedent his loaded 9mm semi-automatic pistol carried in a holster on his right hip for which he had a concealed carry permit. The decedent responded to this display of deadly force by promptly punching the appellant in the face. Somehow, the decedent and the appellant ended up about eight feet apart at this point. Once again, the appellant could simply have decided this interaction wasn't going as well as he'd hoped and taken advantage of the empty aisle immediately behind him to retreat from the confrontation, or he could have asked the several hundred other parishioners present to restrain the decedent from striking him. Instead, the appellant decided to square himself into a ready-fire stance and shoot the unarmed decedent twice. One of the bullets pierced the decedent's heart, and he died soon thereafter, despite life-saving efforts by fellow parishioners and emergency medical responders. The appellant was charged with voluntary manslaughter with respect to the decedent and reckless endangerment with respect to the other parishioners, And he raised the legal defense of self-defense. That meant the prosecutors would have to disprove at least one of the elements of self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. You'll recall those elements are innocence, imminence, proportionality, avoidance, and reasonableness, and that they are cumulative, meaning if any one required element is disproven beyond a reasonable doubt, the claim of self-defense collapses entirely. After a three day trial, the jury convicted the appellant of all the charges, and the trial judge sentenced him to 10 to 20 years in prison. Interestingly, that sentence is roughly two to three times the recommendation of the Pennsylvania sentencing guidelines. And I mention it because much of the trial judge's sentencing decisions appear to have been driven by his perception of this appellant as a sheepdog who was looking to live out a fantasy of intervening in other people's conflicts. Now, the discussion of why this is so is beyond the scope of this case of the week, but we do cover it in detail in our expert report on this case, which you could find at lawselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Now, the appellant appealed his conviction on the basis that there was insufficient evidence of trial by which a rational jury could have found that the state had disproven self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. So, the appellate court looked at the evidence and concluded that, in fact, there was sufficient evidence at trial to disprove at least two of the five elements, those two elements being innocence and avoidance. With respect to innocence, the legal standard in Pennsylvania is that the person claiming self-defense must be free from fault in provoking or continuing the difficulty. Here, however, there were sufficient evidence that the appellant had provoked or continued the difficulty with the decedent. Witnesses testified that before the appellant intervened, the decedent had calmed down and that after the appellant intervened with the decedent, he was once again aggravated. With respect to avoidance, the appellant did not qualify for Pennsylvania stand your ground privilege on the facts of this case and therefore had a legal duty to retreat if safely possible before using deadly force and self-defense. And witnesses at trial testified the appellant could have safely retreated rather than fired the fatal rounds. Although the appellant himself testified that retreat was not an option, the jury is free to decide that it would rather believe the other witnesses than the appellant. The appellate court therefore affirmed the defendant's convictions and his 10 to 20 year sentence. Now, I'm just a small town attorney. It's not my place to tell people whether they should or should not buy into this sheepdog view of the world. That's your decision to make. I certainly don't see any good reason for anybody to be carrying around a fake badge. However, ultimately, you're responsible for making these decisions. I only urge you to make these decisions in an informed way. And if you're going to assume risks like being a sheepdog or carrying a fake badge, that you'd better bring along with you a huge barrel of good judgment. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show. Don't forget, as a listener to this podcast, you can save 10% on just about everything we do at lawofselfdefense.com, including our books, DVDs, online classes, live classes, and more. Just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash concealed carry or use the discount code CCP at checkout. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawOfSelfDefense.com.
0: There you have it. That's quite a case, Matthew.
1: Yeah, yeah, incredible story. Um, and, and you know, every time I hope the listeners and I'm, I'm you know the feedback we've gotten from these uh, case of the weeks, really good feedback, uh, and we, it seems like the listeners like it. But you know, it. it I think they're so important that there's so much that goes into making the decision to pull the trigger. And, and, you know, that is really um, what we, I think we do a good job or, or I know is one of our emphasis on the show is that it, anybody can pull a trigger. You can train anybody to pull a trigger, but it's, it's understanding when and how, and, and, um, that, that really is important in understanding what the heck you're doing. Um, you know, we always try avoidance deescalation. And, and it seemed like, you know, in this case, the, 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 the fact that it was already deescalated and he, and he kind of amped up the situation. I'm sure everybody knows, I'm sure, you know, Riley, like people that you just know that whenever they're around, something's going to go down, right? Like <laughs> they just, they're just an, you know, the way they talk, the way they're just, they have to get their last word in and everything. So this guy seemed like he was one of those people that, just seems to amp up the situation instead of bringing it down, and I think as concealed carriers, um, our goal is to always deescalate and try to get get out of there as best we can. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, this was a good case. Yeah, I, I kind of chuckle a little bit at
0: parts of of it while Andrew was describing it, you know, because we've talked about those concealed carry badges before on the podcast. Please don't do that. Please, guys. Please help me out here. <laughs> I don't, you know. I mean, I don't want to make fun of anybody, but they're not cool. They're not cool. Uh, the, the the only reason I can imagine you would have one would be, and that's not good enough reason, in my opinion, would be that you think that in the event you had to draw and use your weapon that and and there was maybe law enforcement present or in the area or something or they arrive and they might see your badge and and, and at least you know give them a a little bit, bit of a pause before they you know shoot you okay that may maybe be the only reason but the problem is is that more often than not uh people get that badge and they think it's something special and and grants them some sort of special authority and it grants you absolutely zero authority uh, this guy clearly thought that it meant something. Hey, here's my badge. And what I, I kind of chuckled because clearly the the dude, you know, was like, uh-huh, yeah, whatever, dude. And then the guy sucker punches him, you know? Yeah, he punches the concealed carrier. You know, like, you're an idiot. Bam, you know? <laughs> um, there was plenty of opportunities for this guy to, to back down and to not escalate the situation as, as has already been covered. And he didn't. And that's that's a pretty serious, serious deal. You know, what he ended up doing and ha- or feeling he had to do, even though he didn't, there's no reason that he had to shoot this guy. Anyway, crazy story. Let's now jump into the news. First story coming up from townhall.com. This story is titled, Surprise, Surprise, March for Our Lives. Once again, shows why the left can't be trusted on gun control. And really the gist is, and this is something I'd like to point out to you all: that we're no longer really talking about just bump stocks and assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. We're talking about the all-out confiscation and outlawing of guns. Period. And this Delaney Tar, you see, pictured here, she's a female student there at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, was present during the shooting. And she's become one of, you know, one of these additional faces, uh, spokes, you know, people for this move, so-called movement. And she says right here, this is a text, a copy of her, uh, a speech that she gave. All right. And she says very clearly right here, there are so many, very, so very many things, so many steps to take. Like right now, sign our petition. It takes two seconds and it matters we will take the big and we will take the small, but we will keep fighting when they give us that inch, that bump stock, ban, we will take a mile. We are not here for breadcrumbs. We are here for real change. We are here to lead.
1: Sounds familiar.
0: Give an inch and they will take a mile. So this is echoed also in other areas. In fact, Matthew, I'm going to jump now to uh, this story from the New York Times, from former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens, who retired, I think, back in 2010. He's a pretty old dude. He was old then. He's old now. He's 97 (laughs) years old now. So he was like... 89, 90 years old, or whatever, when he retired, when he finally decided to do that. Thank goodness. Uh, although, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that, was it Elena Kagan? That, no, it was Sotomayor, I think, that replaced uh, Stevens. I'm not sure that she's a whole lot better <laughs> where it comes to the Second yeah. Amendment. But still, uh, John Paul Stevens is very openly against the Second Amendment. And he wrote this op-ed, uh, just uh, to, actually this came out this morning repeal the second amendment he says and you see right here at the top of an image of an 18th century m- musket you know a muzzle loading flintlock style musket and then right below it you see an, an ar you see a a, a typical ar-15 uh, configuration a2 upper you know with the carry handle all that stuff right all right so a rifle from the 18th century it says when the second amendment was written. And an assault rifle of today is the caption of the image. And I'm thinking the rifle on the top is the assault rifle of the 18th century.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) That's what's wrong about that caption. An assault rifle from the 18th century and an assault rifle of today. (laughs) Or if you you take offense at at calling the AR-15 an assault rifle, although we actually can't tell if that's a full auto or a standard semi-automatic AR, right? Uh, If you take offense to that, though, you have a a common rifle of the 18th century above and a common rifle of today below that, right? That's what we have. He makes it very clear. Uh, He talks about what he has seen in his lifetime, uh, everything that's going on, the civic engagement, these these mass killings of school children, blah, 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 blah. And basically his whole point in this op-ed is, look, guys, the... The NRA is too powerful. We will not be able to stop the NRA and its propaganda weapon of immense power because we won't be able to institute the gun control that we desire to institute because of the second amendment. The Heller decision was wrong. It was mistaken, blah, 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 blah. The only thing we can do to get what we want is to repeal the second amendment. So Let's repeal the Second Amendment," says former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens. The March for Our Lives activists are very clearly saying, "We want all-out gun bans. We want. It. They also support the the repealing of the Second Amendment. This is the fight that we are up against. This is what that. And, and by the way, it is the more or less the extreme left. I have leftist friends that. Are also pro gun. We don't agree on social and and financial policies at times, but they're still pro gun. Uh, they're probably a little more. They probably have a little more tendency to say that you, you know, universal background checks and all this stuff is they're they're totally okay with. They're prob- some of them are probably okay with banning AR-15s uh, as long as we don't ban anything else. But that's that's not what we're seeing propagated. Uh, through our media, Matthew, we're seeing these people very openly saying, "We want all-out bans. Let's get rid of the Second Amendment. It's old. It's useless. It's outdated." By the way, interesting little kind of like dichotomy, or, or not, not dichotomy. It's a it's a really an inconsistency in the arguments, right? Because on one hand, you have people that say the Second Amendment means one thing, and to them, it means that it does not protect the right for an individual to possess a weapon. Or the right to possess an AR-15. But then on the other hand, they're admitting that we have to repeal the Second Amendment to be able to ban those things. And thus, they're almost admitting indirectly that, in fact, the Second Amendment does protect that because, well, frankly, we have court precedent that has shown that to be the case in some cases. All right, so...
1: Yeah. Your take, Matthew. Let's hear it. Unleash. Yeah. yeah, Real quick. I mean, you hit everything, but um, a couple of things, you know, that I, that I notice, And, and so obviously for those that, you know, might not understand how the Supreme court works, you know, um, you know, it's the highest court in the land. They they are not supposed to be making law. They, they interpret cases that are put in front of them and see, you know, is this, does this jive with what the, what, uh, what the constitution says. Right. And so, um, there, there's a, a side. There's a, a an idea that the Constitution should change over time, and and you know if enough people kind of think this, then without amending the Constitution, um it should just kind of be legislated through. You know the the judges kind of yeah, I think this is kind of what they mean, given the context of today. And then there's the other side that says, hey, we need to look at keep the Constitution as it is, in in we have to make sure that what we're doing uh, is in accordance with the original intent of, of the constitution. It doesn't change based on, you know, who's in power or who, you know, the majority of the public because our our country wasn't based on, you know, a majority rule. Um, it, it's a Republic. And so, and, and I think it's important when I, when I was reading his um, uh, John Stevens uh, statement here. One thing that, that stood out was they re, in the in the statement he says they reveal the broad public and they are the marchers uh, the broad public support for legalization. Uh, or legislation to minimize the risk of mass killings for school children and others in our society that support is a clear sign to lawmakers to enact legislation prohibiting civilian ownership of semi-automatic weapons increasing the minimum age um, and establishing more comprehensive background checks all uh, on all purchases of firearms but yeah. it, but you know it, 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 he goes on beyond that right is just to to like what you were saying is that he understands that that might not be so legal, right? I mean, there's, there's legal problems that because of the constitution and our second amendment, right? Does grant us that right. And so he says after that, but the demonstrators should seek more effective and more lasting reform. They should demand a repeal of the second amendment. That is the ultimate goal. That's what, you know, the slippery slope. That's what we've been saying is that, you know, all these people, Oh, we're not, you know, it's a right-wing conspiracy that we want, you know, president Obama said that, nobody wants a bad take your guns every no you you see it from from exactly the 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 thought process of a supreme court justice who understands the power of the second amendment and, and the and the decisions that gave us these rights or or protected our rights more more appropriately and he knows just like you said Riley the only way to do it is repeal the second amendment and uh that coupled with the rhetoric that you see coming out, where we take an in, they give us an inch, we take a mile. It, it's, yep. it, it, and it's not hidden. It's not something that's, you know, behind the scenes, and they're just trying to give a good front. This is out in the open. This is what they want to do. So, yep, you got it.
0: So at least it's out in the open now. Yeah, you
1: know,
0: you know it's clear. I mean, you got a, you got a bunch of these kids that. They're just kids, right? They don't even know who they themselves are as people yet. And yet they think they can dictate and preach to us about gun policy. And what you've seen from several of these students, including David Hogg, is a lot of inconsistencies in their arguments and not understanding how the, how the Constitution works. That's a that's a good start. You know, like this whole clear backpacks thing. You know, the, the school district has said, hey, we're going to... I think the school district is talking about providing paying for these clear backpacks. So it's not an impact on the students and their families financially. And you are required to come to school with these clear backpacks as an element of school security, which by the way is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) And they jump on board with, you know, all these kids that are in the pro gun control side of things, you know, that are part of this March for our lives group are like, how dare you trample on our, constitutional rights by violating our right to privacy (laughs) by making us carry these clear plastic backpacks which is stupid i agree to begin with but they don't see the irony in that uh when they're talking about taking away the rights from 300 plus million americans
1: you know where it comes to the second amendment um just checking i'm following along with the uh with the Comments here, and obviously, Adrian. I mean, sorry that you think I'm a gun nut. I I, I don't know what that term means. Or <laughs> he says we
0: gun nuts that. are funny. We clearly have a troll in the comment section on Facebook. Fake news. He, he calls bull. He says we gun nuts are funny because uh, he says nobody's looking to taking away our guns. Now, Adrian, you might be part of that crowd that I just I just talked about this. So clearly, Adrian just jumped in and is immediately making assumptions about who we are, what we're talking about. Most, most of Americans, in my opinion, don't necessarily believe in taking away all of our guns. Most people on the left, I don't think necessarily believe that either. But there is a contingent and probably a far left contingent. But as I have already touched on, these March for Our Lives kids, on their, on their website, in their platform, in the speeches that were given on Saturday, they admitted that that's essentially what they want. Look at the signs that people were holding at that protest. They want an all-out gun ban. Many of them do. Now, not all of them do. Okay. And then we just touched on that story from John Paul Stevens, former Supreme Court uh, Justice Stevens, that wrote an op-ed in the New York Times today that says, let's repeal the Second Amendment. What? <laughs> that's not fake news, bro. That's on the New York Times. That's your, that's probably the news that source that I would guess you read. Because there's fake news on there all the time, apparently. I don't know. All right. So... Anyway, we're just going to ignore Adrian for now. Matthew chimes in, says, uh, a different Matthew other than the the one that's on the podcast today, and says he loves the show. Thanks for all we do. Hey, appreciate you, Matthew. All right, so we're going to move on, and let's talk now about a story, another story. And I saw this on several news sources. So, sorry, Adrian, it's not fake news. But a rapper who performed at March for Our Lives, and this is just irony in its most perfect sense, Rapper Vic Menza, who performed at the March for Our Lives rally in Washington, D.C. on Saturday and subsequently called for an AR-15 rifle ban, pled guilty to a gun crime last year. In March of 2017, Victor Kwesi Menza, I don't know known professionally as Vic Mensa was arrested during a routine traffic stop in California for having a concealed weapon in his vehicle without a permit according to TMZ. At the time of the arrest, Mensa said he had a concealed carry permit for the weapon. However, the permit was from a state that California does not recognize. Little news tip for y'all. California recognizes almost nobody else's permits. In fact, I don't think they recognize anybody's permits. Maybe Oregon's, but I don't think so. I don't think they recognize anybody's permits. So, yeah, Menza pleaded no contest to one charge of carrying a concealed firearm in his car. And in July was sentenced to two years probation. The second charge of carrying an unregistered loaded firearm was dropped. And then he just tweeted his support for banning the AR-15 rifle. He dedicated his performance at the rally to the unarmed black men and women killed by police weapons. So probably because he had a really negative experience to trying to, carry for himself for his own personal protection a a concealed weapon while he was in California. He he's he's angry now. So uh we've got the a rapper at this movement that's against guns and yet he's been in trouble for violating the laws, already existing laws that apparently, you know, unfortunately for him in the state of California was just simply enforced. Too bad for him.
1: Yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, I think maybe he should have been at a march for, you know, national reciprocity or something. That might have been, <laughs> would have helped him out a little bit more. But I don't know. Maybe he's had a change of heart. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know Vic too well. I haven't listened to much of his music. In fact, I don't know any of his music. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe he had a change of heart and now he's really concerned. Or maybe he just wanted to perform so he could get his name out and people would actually realize who he is. I don't know. Yeah.
0: So there you go. You've got those guys going on now at these uh, events on to a story from a blog called Sultan Knish. Where do they come up with these names? I don't know. <laughs> a blog by Daniel Greenfield. And he's got this really interesting article. It's frankly an article that I could have written myself. And, uh, and the reason I say that is because this article was posted on Saturday And all of last week, I was actually, and even into the week before that, I was doing some research into this March for Our Lives uh, organization. Now, just for the record, they are officially a 501c4 organization, which is a nonprofit, but they are not tax deductible as far as like donations made to them are not tax deductible. They are allowed to engage in political activity. They're allowed to try to influence political uh, uh, issues. And so a 501c4 is a nonprofit, but it can be very politically active and can donate a a lot of money to various political uh, initiatives, including candidates. Which March for Our Lives, the 501c4 is very similar in structure in that regard to Every Town for Gun Safety, which the primary organization at Everytown for Gun Safety is also a 501c4. And we see the effect that they have everywhere across the country as they are donating money to various political candidates and parties and so forth. So that's a little bit about their financial structure. On their website, by the way, and I, I know I, I, we, we have the story pulled up, um, Mr. Daniel Greenfield, the author of the story, he basically writes a lot of what this is. I'm, I'm telling you what I had researched for myself. Okay, so on March for Our Lives website, heck, I could pull that up. You will see directly on their site a little bit about their organization. And their website changes daily, by the way, the formatting, the colors, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's always different. Uh, so let's see if I can find it. General FAQ. So, they show right on here, hey, guys, we are a 501c4 organization. If you want to donate to us, here's how you can do it. You know, questions like, are my donations tax deductible? No, they are not because we're a 501c4. Where can I donate? Send a check to. Here's the address. It's based in Encino, California. Um, and then uh, and there's a GoFundMe page. So, you can also donate to. All right. And it clarifies here in this section, no Donations to our fund are not tax exempt or tax deductible. Now, this is the interesting thing that I found. Is there a section 501c3 March for Our Lives organization. You can make tax deductible contributions to support the March for Our Lives movement and student-led activism by supporting the March for Our Lives Initiative at Every Town for Gun Safety Support Fund. Checks should be made payable to March for Our Lives Every Town Support Fund. Now, as I'm reading this, guys, here's my thought process. I'm like, wait a minute. Every town for gun safety support fund, you can make tax-deductible donations to them? See, I didn't know that. And so I started asking these questions, and I'm like, okay, that's that's news to me. So I start doing a little digging. There are two organizations called Every Town for Gun Safety. One is called Every Town for Gun Safety. Action Fund, that is the main organization, the one that raises, I don't know, like 50 million some odd dollars per year and donates to all of these gun control initiatives across the country, including political candidates and various races and so forth, okay? Then you've got Every Town for Gun Safety Support Fund, which is a different, technically on paper, a different organization, although... The people at the head of the, the two organizations are the same people. Both are pres. The president of both organizations is uh, John Feinblatt, who is a close and dear friend to Michael Bloomberg. Surprise, surprise. We know every town is a Michael Bloomberg organization. They so you have these two side by side organizations. Every port, or every town for gun safety action fund is a five hundred one c four. Every town for gun safety support fund. Is a five hundred one c three five hundred one c three organizations are nonprofits that can accept tax deductible donations, and they have they have a lot of restrictions as to what kind of political activity they can be involved in. And in, in, in essence, they're generally quite. I mean, most five hundred one c threes I'm familiar with try to try to stay away as much as possible from politics because they're afraid of losing that tax deductible status. Okay, so. Instead, what we see and what we saw in 2016, according to IRS form 990 filed in November of 2017, keep in mind, they don't have, they they get up to 11 and a half months to file for their previous year's taxes. And so in election years, you you won't even see financials that they're almost two years old by the time you see any sort of financials, uh, you know, on some of these organizations. Anyway, so... According to their their form 990 filed in November of 2017, in 2016, Everytown for Gun Safety Support Fund gave almost $800,000 directly to their sister organization, Everytown for Gun Safety Action Fund, as a grant. Keep in mind that the the declared purpose of, of the support fund organization is that they are there for education and research purposes. And that's primarily, I mean, a lot of what they, from the funds they raise, a lot of that goes into funding the trace.org, which is a website that's supposedly trying to educate us about gun violence and so forth. And they provide grants to a number of other organizations that basically, in a surreptitious manner, attempt to educate us as, as to the problem about guns. Okay. And then supposedly doing it in a fair and unbalanced, or fair and balanced way, although that is a debatable thing for sure. So that's all kind of the digging that I did, and essentially, what it seems to me is that there is a March for Our Lives initiative as part of the Everytown for Gun Safety Support Fund. That my guess is, if you send money to the support fund at Everytown, they will then funnel that through a grant to March for Our Lives. Five hundred one C threes are there's a certain formula that the IRS uh, uses to indicate the limit that you can donate funds to political um, activities. And while that donation that the 501c3 organization made to the 501c4 organization in 2016 was within that limit, there's certainly, I think, reason to look at it and kind of go, hmm, really? Because, I mean, I'd like to see their bank records, for one thing. I'd like to audit that. Uh, I don't know that I can, but you know, I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to have a peek at those bank records and just see how good of a job they're keeping the books clean between the two organizations side by side. And now you've got this third organization, March for our lives. I mean, what we're getting at, by the way, is that March for our lives is now just, it's the youth extension of every town for gun safety. That's all it is. Sorry. I took over the discussion, Matthew. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just listening because That's all I'm the not, yeah, I'm not a CPA. I, I follow along, you know. I, I do my own taxes and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, so I I I totally I totally uh agree. And I don't know, you know, if this is unique to what they're doing. I doubt it. I'm I'm sure other organizations do this, but it just it seems like you know taking money out of one pocket and putting it in the other. And um, I think if 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 there's a loophole you know, that they found it and, uh, that's what they're doing. So it's just, it's not, doesn't seem like it's above the board or, or, or pre, uh, being honest. So I don't know. I'm not a CPA, but, uh, I guess we'll follow along and see if anything ever comes of it. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I think there's some, I don't know if shady
0: is the right word, but it definitely seems, and this is how, uh, Mr. Greenfield describes it in his article, uh he ref- he uses this phrase where where was it uh he refers to it as being a shadow uh which i thought thought was a really interesting observation uh, he's he's talking about kind of how all these different organizations are related how the money is moving around and just it's a little bit shadowy in nature now not to suggest that organizations that are on the pro gun side i mean chances are everybody's playing the same games right if these are so-called loopholes Everybody's probably using and exploiting those loopholes. But I think it's only fair to when we have organizations that are propagating uh, falsehoods, you know, about gun violence and trying to influence policy in a way that will likely, you know, if successful, result in further restrictions of the Second Amendment. Well, I'm going to do some digging. I'm going to (laughs) see what they're all about. They clearly do a lot of digging into the NRA. You know, and the, and the NRA is the is the big bad ugly, you know, enemy in the room uh, that is being targeted for everything. Even though, ironically enough, most of the NRA is made up of five million Americans that give freely of their money. Uh, yes, I don't always necessarily agree with the NRA's tactics and as to how that happens, but uh, you know, it is an organization made up of like-minded gun owning individuals. Every town also is made up of anti-gun, you know, loving individuals that are donating to them, I'm sure. But it's also largely in part, almost solely funded as well by Mr. Michael Bloomberg. So, anyway, let's move on. Citibank, this last week, changed a policy. And they sent sent out a letter to executives within the company, a letter which was obtained uh, in part by uh, Patrick Roberts over at uh, uh, the firearm rack, anyone familiar with his channel and blog. Uh, And and now we're also seeing the the mainstream media reporting on this as well. This is on the New York Times. Citigroup sets restrictions on gun sales by business partners. So basically what what the letter is saying, this came from Michael L, or Michael, yeah, Michael L. Corbett, the chief executive, and he wrote this pretty detailed letter that said, look, if we're not going to see legislation from our government, then we as a company, we, we're a big company. We touch and influence a lot of different things in the world uh, and in the U.S. We can do our best to back and support common sense measures, he, he uh, applauded Walmart, Dick's Sporting Goods, and others for some of the things that they had done, uh, meaning that they had raised some of the minimum purchase, purchase ages and so forth. Um, since the deadly school shooting in Parkland, Florida last month, renewed calls for remedies to firearms violence had led to sweeping consumer boycotts and unprecedented moves. But what we're seeing now is almost like a boycott in the opposite Sense so typically we talk about boycotts in our industry about hey a bunch of people are going to get together and boycott company such and such you know say Dick Sporting Goods which by the way their their financials right now are taking a pretty big hit surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly uh, it's pretty cool I mean th- hey you take a stance like that especially when a lot of your customers I mean it's Dick Sporting Goods they sell hunting gear they sell firearms products they sell ammunition. And you take a stance like that you're probably going to take a hit on your bottom line um, but basically we're seeing like a boycott in the opposite direction instead of individuals gun owners boycotting a company we're seeing a company or a bank like Citigroup boycotting gun owners and gun related purchases so what their policy is is to let me see if I can find the details here yeah, they 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 they, they, they want-
1: Go ahead. They want to prohibit the sales of firearms uh, uh, to customers who have not passed background checks or who are younger than 21. And they want to bar the sale of bump stocks, high-capacity magazines. It would apply to clients who offer credit cards backed by Citigroup or borrow money, use banking services, or raise capital through the company. Gotcha. Uh, Yeah. So that, you know, so you you want to go get a business loan or you have, you have your bank account with them. And prior to this, you know, that's how you, uh, you have a gun store or whatnot. And now they're not going to do business with you. Um, it's, you know, the, the thing I don't mind that they, if they, if that's the stance they want to take, that's fine. Um, but if if I understand correctly, or if I remember correctly, um, didn't Citibank or Citigroup get a huge taxpayer bailout for you know kind of screwing over the uh, the in that whole lending problem uh, a few years back, and they ended up getting bailed out because they couldn't make the right decisions then. Um, now they're making I think poor decisions too um, by you know by targeting a specific sector um, you know, I'm not aware of them um, you know, doing this with any other, other uh, you know, manufacturing group, but it seems, it seems um, no, like I said, I, I don't have a problem with them doing it on face value or their right to do it. But I think it's, I think it's bad, especially since they took taxpayer bailout money. And uh, I, I think that's, it's just wrong. I, you're hurting a lot of people um, that have businesses um, that make, you know, their paycheck. They take care of their family with that paycheck, or you know, those businesses uh, employ hundreds of people. So, and for what? For what good? If if they, if that really helped, you know, yeah. um, I could understand. But I, 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 you know, it's we know it's not going to help. So, so basically, we
0: have Citigroup trying to make it difficult to do business in the gun industry. Meanwhile. NRA PAC donations more than tripled in February. So no surprise there. Moving on. Remington, one of America's oldest firearm makers files for bankruptcy protection.
1: Not shocking. Not shocking covered, at all. Yeah, we've been covering this for months now.
0: Yep. And you can go back. I don't remember exactly what episode, but I know we've talked about Remington at least two times as to why, you know, why we think that they're struggling financially. Uh, so I'm not going to go into that anymore. No need to. Just letting you guys know that, uh, I mean, they are super big time in debt. They've made some stupid decisions, in my opinion, and they are now paying the price. So they have now filed for bankruptcy. So sad to see. I mean, I hate to see companies in, in this industry struggle you know, like that. But when you make stupid decisions, you you own it. Okay. Now, this was an interesting article here. On Governing.com, which states are most dependent on the gun industry? And I I thought this was appropriate because we're talking about Remington, you know, that maybe is is having some struggles. And I know some other businesses as well are having some struggles, more more likely dealing, you know, or to do with the so-called Trump slump. Um, But uh, which states are most dependent on the gun industry, this says. And it writes here, hundreds of thousands of protesters marched this weekend. Okay, we know that. Uh, they want stricter gun control regulations. Such re- restrictions would affect different states in different ways. Idaho is the state that's most dependent on the gun industry, according to a new report. I thought that was int- interesting. I mean, I knew Idaho would be up there pretty high, but honestly, Utah has got a, a substantial firearms-related you know industry within within Utah. Wyoming now, and Wyoming's making uh, big big strides, you know, in, uh, progress uh, to be becoming a lot more supported by the gun industry. Uh, they just brought, uh, Weatherby to, uh, Sheridan, Wyoming, uh, as basically its headquarters now. So that's pretty cool. So Idaho, it says is the most dependent state on the gun industry. The economies of four other Western states, Montana, Alaska, South Dakota, and Wyoming are also dependent on guns more so than other places. Uh, so this report was released last week from the personal finance website, wallet hub, measuring the economic impact of the gun industry on each of the 50 States. There's a nice little, uh, chart or graph or really a map here that kind of shows, you know, the darker blues or whatever, the, 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 more sort of strange kind of teal color, whatever, uh, Tiffany blue. (laughs) I don't know. So the darker it is, the more that state is supported by the gun industry. So we do see some States like New Jersey, this is 49th, you know, Maryland 50th. We see, you know, very little in the way of gun industry in those States. New York has a a number of pretty high profile gun companies that are based there. But keep in mind that New York has a substantial industry, uh, you know, in a lot of ways and they have New York city. So, We're we're likely, we're we're measuring the impact of gun industry in terms of dollars for a particular state. Well, it probably, even though there's a number of like Kimber, for instance, is in New York, uh, even though there's a number of pretty cool, big, you know, respectable gun businesses in New York uh, as for for, or as compared to their overall dollars uh, in their industry, in their economy, uh, it's still very, very small Uh, drop in the bucket. Illinois is kind of the same way too. I mean, there's a number of uh, firearm manufacturers in Illinois. So anyway, interesting little chart. You can hover over each of these and see how these different states rank. We've got Idaho. We've got Montana is number two. Wyoming's number five. Utah, like I said, it's kind of surprising. It's ranked number 17. I would have thought it would be higher. Um, Arizona, 19. Kansas, number eight. South Dakota, four. North Dakota, number 10. Just to give you kind of an idea of some of the southern states or a lot of those are ranking like in the teens. So yeah, if we see some significant changes to gun policy, particularly, I mean imagine, we're talking specifically in a lot of ways about a an outright bump stock ban. And there's at least two companies that would pretty much immediately go out of business <laughs> if that was, you know, officially enacted, you know, nationwide. Uh, we've already seen gun, gun stock or bump stock bans in Florida. Um, in a few other places, I don't know. Has it actually gotten passed in some of the other states yet? Yeah, I know they're talking about a number of states. Florida, I know, is for sure has outlawed it. Denver, Colorado, just the city of Denver outlawed it here. But Yeah,
1: uh, yeah I yeah. don't think any other states have gone through with it yet. There's been some small city stuff, and obviously everything's proposed. But I don't know if outside of Florida, if anything's actually taken effect. Yeah. Yep. All right.
0: Let's now move on to an article that I've been kind of excited to get to because it's just interesting and it's different than some of the other things we've been talking about. So we've been talking about for a while, guys, about this March for Our Lives organization, what they stand for. We've been talking about Justice, former Justice Stevens wanting to repeal the Second Amendment. We've we obviously are aware that there's this big gun related debate in our country. Okay. And this article I initially saw on gun culture 2.0, uh, the, the blog that David Yamane, I don't know if anybody's familiar with, I follow this a little bit. This is a really interesting article and it's actually not so much his article. He actually reposted an article that was originally written by this guy, Kareem Shia or Shia, I guess Shaya, I don't know. And this guy has created this website called the path forward on guns.com. And this is what he writes. Gun nuts and gun controllers. Stop banging your head against the wall. It's time to get results. The gun debate, 5% gun nuts, 5% gun controllers, and 300 million people who just want to move forward, but we can't move forward. Really can't metaphysically can't unstoppable force versus immovable object. Can't we're stuck. And that's that. The way we got here is simple. Each side is trying to destroy the other. You win wars by force, and culture wars are no different. Each side fires their volleys back and forth. And he goes on, you know, I mean, this is kind of where we're at right now. This is actually a fairly clear description. On the one hand, you have the pro-gun side that is immovable. We we are, nope, this we're making our stand. We've made our stand before. We're going to do it again. This is the battle that we're going to fight. Uh, we're not going anywhere, and I I attend I, I align with that crowd. Okay, I do not want to see additional legislation specifically against guns because I don't think that solves the problem. Okay, but then you got the other side that is much the same way now, saying, look. We want more gun control. We want to ban AR-15s. We want to ban bump stocks. We want to ban high capacity magazines. We want to have limits on ammunition per, 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 per purchases. We want to have uh, universal background checks. We, you know, there's this whole this litany of of a list of things that the pro gu- gun control side wants, and they are getting louder and louder and louder. And that's all it is. A lot of it's just noise, frankly. So basically, you have two sides that are completely opposed to each other. How do we move forward? Matthew, I'm asking you the question. How do we move forward?
1: Yeah, I have the answer. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a complex, right? It's a, it's a, it's a complex, uh, multifaceted problem. And, um, to, to, and that's why I think um, a lot of people are having issues with using the kids in this debate because it is... It, you can't solve it by banning a specific gun. You can't solve it by making a gun-free zone. You can't solve it by doing a background check. Um, it, it's, it, you know, it's going to take multiple um, people coming from different fields to actually understand. Hey, this is this is what's going to be the negative outcome of doing this, right? It, it, the legislation or or um, Congress is really great at passing laws without understanding what the long-term effect is going to be, right? Right. You know, we we make these decisions um, whether or not, you know, we get involved in a war and then what happens after that, you know, destabilizes this country and that, and people can argue about, you know, we shouldn't have done that. Um, but, you know, when when you pass these laws, there is always going to be a a a a a like a unintended consequence. It comes from that. It's just, it's natural. It's going to happen. And so I think if you exclude the people that it's going to affect, like let's say banning AR-15s, if you exclude those people that understand the guns and understand, you know, why banning those particular firearms won't help, you're, you're missing out on, and at the same time, you're saying you want a solution. What you're saying is we want our solution. We don't want anybody else's input on how this might work. And, um, and so this article is really good because it doesn't take a left versus right, you know, approach. It really just says, Hey, these are some things that I think both people could, both sides could compromise on, um, without doing the old, you know, um, I'll give you half of what you want, you know, um, type thing, and that's a compromise. I get all of what I want, you get half of what you want, type thing, and and so, um, you know, to be a true compromise, you have to be willing to give up something to get something. That's a true compromise, and a true, you know, a compromise is not well. I want to do X, Y, and Z, but I'll only do X as a compromise. That's not a compromise. That's just you. You know, not Im- implementing all the things you want to have happen. A compromise is: I want X, Y, right. and Z. You want A, B, C. Okay, we're going to do X and Y and B and A. All right, does that sound good? Great. You know, yep. but yep. but it's not it's not it's not going that way because nobody wants to involve the people that you know the the gun um, the, the people that actually know about guns and know what the heck they're talking about and and they don't want those people involved in the conversation. So it's all one sided. And so that's why I think this is important because it does kind of bring it from both sides. And, and I don't agree with everything he said in here, you know, as far as like implementation of these things, but it definitely is something that, you know, you would probably get the middle majority of people um, agreeing with on the gun side and the, the gun control side. So, yep. So let me review what uh,
0: this guy is proposing. Okay. Okay. He says, for the gun control side, meaning to appease them, let's have Swiss-style universal background checks. A form of, uh, yeah, so a universal background check, right? The, The way this is proposed is rather interesting, okay? Because it's not really done necessarily at the dealer level or even at a governmental level necessarily. I mean, yes, it's using a governmental system, but basically it's proposing we use the NICS system, okay? and that basically any gun buyer can use it, or seller for that matter. Any gun buyer can log into the NICS background check system and enter their personal information. The system gives them an ID number that expires in one week. The buyer can then buy firearms from any legal seller. They have to meet face-to-face, and the buyer shows the ID number. The seller checks that number in the NICS system, and the system returns just one word, approved or denied. In the former case, the seller then confirms the buyer's identity using a government-issued ID, and they can proceed with the sale. The system doesn't collect any information at all on the items being sold, transferred, type, make, model, quantity, etc. Its only job is to run a comprehensive check on whether the buyer is legally allowed to purchase firearms. After one week, when the one-time-use ID number expires, the system does not retain any records. That information, by the way, is already archived for 20 years on the Form 4473 for all gun shop sales, and that would stay the same. The system collects no information about the seller as it's it's designed to work perfectly without knowing the seller's identity. Transfers between family members are exempt. Non-commercial firearm loans of up to 14 days are also exempt. This is just to accommodate a situation where, say, two people are on a backcountry hunting trip and one needs to lend a, the other a gun during the trip. They need some way to do that without committing a felony. That's pretty well-reasoned, I'd have to say. Okay, yeah. extreme risk protection orders. Sorry, I'm going to move on. Uh, I have a hard stop at 1 o'clock, and I, <laughs> I don't think we're oh, going to be tight. Okay, so extreme risk protection orders, you're basically saying we should ha- we should go ahead and allow the, you know have these, all right. Uh, we should have some very clear rules as to how they're done and how they're handled. Um, suggestions such as to make sure that a full hearing can be held within 72 hours. the order should automatically elapse after a defined period of time, et cetera, et cetera, meaning that any surrender of firearms based on on an ERPO should be temporary. Uh, unless there's really good you know unless we go through the correct due process channels and uh, you know that we normally probably would otherwise but it gives the way for law enforcement to stop shooter shootings like the parkland shooting you know where this guy had police called on him so many times all right also i know a little bit controversial for some gun owners including even for myself um but not totally out of the realm of possibilities, perhaps, okay? Classify bump stocks as machine guns, okay? So outlaw bump stocks. I don't like it, but could be worse things, I suppose. For the gun rights side, so guys, unless, unless you think that it's only about giving in to the gun control side, listen to this. Put silencers in the same legal category as handguns, not grenade launchers. So in other words, remove silencers from the Title to. Uh, firearm classification, make them a title one firearm, just like a handgun, uh, background check. You could purchase a silencer, no weights, no tax stamps, et cetera, et cetera. Repeal depression era barrel length loss. This is, this is reasonable right here, guys. He goes into why we have the law, the way we do, uh, the, the national firearms act and that it's stupid and pointless. And so we should get rid of this idea of short barreled rifles. And then have basically national reciprocity, concealed carry permit reciprocity from you know through all 50 states. So that is the proposal. And he says we should also have uh, we should make some some steps in the direction of having the media play a part of this, as far as they should stop reporting about mass shootings the way they currently do, because it becomes a contagion. It encourages other copycat uh, shooters. And, and I think there is something to be said to that there, that you do see kind of these clusters of shootings from time to time. And there's evidence that supports that. So, and then he says, guys, contact the lobbying groups. He, he's saying contact the NRA, contact every town, contact everybody and get them on board with something like this because there's something here for everybody. I know this is going to be controversial. What are your guys' thoughts
1: yeah I don't want I don't want to influence every, anybody and put my thoughts in there, but I, I'd be will, I'd love to hear you know in the comments or send emails to the to the podcast because uh, you know there are some things that trouble me, you know, um, but I think all in all, if you're looking for a true compromise, if you know if, if you're not hardline one side or the other, and you're looking for a true compromise, um, common sense, if you will. Those are those are things that I think a lot of people could get behind. Um, so, yeah.
0: yeah, And Stanley comments, but the media won't stop with the way they are doing so because ratings. Uh, so, yeah, that that's a tough one. I agree, um, but it, there's something to be said there. So, like we know that in this current gun control or gun rights debate, we've got we got the two sides. We got the pro-gun side, we've got the gun control side, and we've got media is also kind of playing it. I mean, it's not, you know, many of you probably look at the media and say, well, the media kind of takes the anti-gun side. In a lot of ways, they perhaps do, uh, depending on which media channel you're looking at specifically. Uh, Frankly, this podcast is a form of media. So, you know, you know where we stand on things. But as media, we can play a role as far as how to be responsible uh, journalists and and TV show hosts and so forth, right? So hopefully, I mean, I don't know. Interesting ideas here. Uh, definitely, yes, as Matthew suggested. I'd be curious whether you guys can get on board with something like this. If this was the proposition, if it was, look, we'll have a very, um, I'd say favorable universal. I mean, like usually when we think about universal background checks, it's it's pretty icky. You know, and it, you know, many, the, the argument against is, well, it could lead to gun confiscation down the road. You know, there could be some sort of registration that is kept, some sort of form of records to where the government might use that against us. And so, don't like universal background checks. But the way that system was described,
1: hmm, kind of interesting, right? Yeah, so, so long, that, that, like what you're saying is that's the point where I think is, is the devil is in the details because yep. if can't secure that system and if you can't ensure that at no point not just now and not just you know it doesn't expire in 10 years and then the government can start collecting if you can say if if they put in the bill yeah this is the system we're going to go with and we are going to in perpetuity no records will ever be recorded um we will secure it you know uh, that that would make a big difference in saying, hey, we're just going to have this system because that's the abusive thing that that people are worried about. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. I mean, good stuff as far as like, this is really thought-provoking stuff, I think. You know, so guys, uh, email us at podcast.concealedcarry.com with your thoughts. Uh, Jorge here or George, I don't know which pronunciation you prefer. Uh, he, He actually just wrote a really... Nice long comment here that if it wasn't quite so long, George or Jorge, I would probably read it on air. Uh, But uh, unfortunately due to time, I got to move on. Uh, But send us your guys' thoughts. Uh, Feel free to comment. I I will record comments that are made in today's Facebook live and take note of this stuff. I obviously paid, I always pay attention to the emails that come into podcast at concealedcarry.com. I respond to many of you through that all the time, you know, personally, um, I'd love to know your thoughts. Is this something you can get on board with? If this was the idea that, you know, universal background checks in a, I would like to think a smartly way done, uh, smartly done way, uh, where we use technology as a, as a big piece of that. There's lots of things that could be done with technology to, to make that, that type of system work very flawlessly without unnecessarily invading our privacy. Um, you know, give up the, uh, bump stocks, Okay. I know controversial. We've talked about it plenty of times on the podcast, made it clear that we're not pro banning bump stocks, even though I don't necessarily care about bump stocks. I don't own a bump stock. Don't really need a bump stock, but I'm not crazy about banning them. I I think that's dumb. And then also giving them the extreme risk protection orders. And in exchange, silencers are basically made very easily, you know, purchased and we get, uh, short barreled rifles and other provisions of the national firearms act just old. I mean, you want to talk about like old outdated laws, Matthew. I mean, we, we talk about the second amendment. Sometimes the anti anti gun crowd says, Hey, the second amendment is old and outdated and doesn't make sense anymore for the the day and times that we live in. Well, the national firearms act is stupid and old and outdated (laughs) and a lot of things in that don't make any sense at all. And then national reciprocity. So, Give up those those three things that I mentioned and gain some pretty big 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 wins. I would have to say that I've got to look at this and weigh what the costs and benefits are. You know, are the benefits of silencers suppressors and and you know short barrel rifles and stuff like that not being regulated any any longer and national reciprocity does that outweigh? Universal background checks, bump stocks, and extreme risk protection orders? I don't know. You guys do the thinking too, and let us know your thoughts. All right, so let's uh, share real quick, Matthew, three justified save stories. I'd like to start with uh, this one right here. This is a story from KXII.com. Elderly Grayson County homeowner shoots man during alleged break-in. Grayson County, Texas, a man is in the hospital after authorities said he broke into a Grayson County home and was shot by the owner. Neighbor said the homeowner, who is elderly and bedridden, told them the intruder worked on his yard in the past and has allegedly created problems recently. The owner told them he heard the man breaking into his home off Farmington Road between blah, blah, blah. I don't need to give you all the details there. He saw the person, told him to leave, and he didn't. Grayson County Captain Sarah Bigham said the homeowner shot the alleged intruder, intruder then called 911. Neighbors said the homeowner had a gun right next to his bed and shot the man in the stomach three times. The person he shot is no longer was no longer at the residence when our deputies arrived there. They later found him at a local hospital. have no idea how he got there. But he showed up at a hospital. He's obviously going to be, he's arrested and charged and all that stuff, right? So I like this story, Matthew, because you got an elderly guy, who probably can't defend himself very effectively in most, you know, like he's not going to get into a fist fight with this guy or grappling. That's not going to work out very well. Uh, And, and this guy may have made him a target because, because of him being elderly, he done, he'd done some work there, was familiar with the guy, knew that he could probably take advantage of him and there'd be nothing this guy could do. But what he didn't know is the dude had a gun.
1: The great equalizer. That's right that's why I threw that that story in there. I, it, anytime elderly people um, are, are defend themselves is especially you know important or noteworthy because um, there are a lot. You know, we saw uh, legislation that was passed right before President Obama left that you know they passed it off as a mental health issue, right, for elderly people that um, had. Uh, issues, you know, taking care of their own finances. Right. So they, they classified them as mental health risks and then put them in the same risk or same category as those prohibited from owning firearms because, you know, they're schizophrenic and it, it, it it shows how, like I, I was saying with the, with the laws, you really have to understand what is going to, what those laws are going to actually look like once they're implemented. Um, Not just what you think in your head is going to be, you know, the panacea law that you pass and everybody's happy. There's, there are definite consequences. Um, And, and, you know, maybe this guy, since he's bedridden, he can't take care of his own finances. So he has somebody, a caregiver that does that. Now he falls into that category and now can't defend himself. So, um, yeah, that's why it, you know, I, I thought this was an important story. Yeah.
0: No, I'm glad you found it. Next story wbrc.com woman shoots alleged would-be robber trustville alabama trustville police are investigating an attempted robbery and shooting in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant the incident happened at the burger king on north Chalkville road police say a lady met someone through an online marketplace and went to the restaurant to buy a cell phone hmm the seller walked up to her vehicle and showed her the phone. Then a second man came up to her passenger side, opened the door and tried to rob the woman at gunpoint. According to police, the woman had her own gun and reportedly shot the suspect in the leg. Trustville detectives are interviewing a person with a gunshot to his leg to determine if he is in fact the suspect. Very few details on this story but I like this story, and I mean, you you dropped it into our, our outline for today, Matthew, and we had to cut a couple other things, but I liked this one because of the of the scenario that it presents, right? So, you got a woman meets a guy to do a deal on a phone, and she's dealing with the dude here on our driver's side. Meanwhile, out of the blue, some other, you know, dude comes up on the passenger side and, uh, you know, like... Guys, I like the story because think through that scenario. Number one, many of you probably wouldn't put yourself in that kind of position or in that sort of place at that particular time, you know, doing that kind of deal or whatever it is. Now, by the way, I've done many Craigslist deals. That's probably what this was. Craigslist or it could have been Facebook Marketplace or whatever that's called. Uh, I've done that kind of stuff many times. I love bargain shopping and that's a great way to find a bargain. You know, you find that that person that's, they have to have, you know, they have to, clear out their apartment today. You know, I once bought a washer and dryer that way. Somebody had to move and they were out of time and they needed it gone today. And they're like, look, this stuff's worth 500 bucks, but it's got to be gone today. I can sell it for 300. And it's like, Oh well, heck yeah. You know, but the, but the thing is you got to use, you got to use your brains, you know, <laughs> you got to find an appropriate place and appropriate time and take appropriate measures and precautions to do it safely. I'm not going to go into detail about everything that I do or have done. Um, There's a lot of vetting, by the way, you can do via phone or text or email because I get, I get vibes, Matthew. Sometimes the way that people talk, the way they use words and language, I go, Hmm, something is a little off with this person, right? Stuff. It's, it's little, little things. I've, 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 put the kibosh on a bunch of deals in the past because of various communication, you know, type related things as, as we were working on setting up a deal.
1: So, but, and, and, at- and you know, a lot of, a lot of cities also um, have implemented these like trading zones, either if it's at the, the police department parking lot, which yes. is monitored with, and that's always a good thing. I mean, if someone's not willing to meet you there, you know, um, it's probably for a reason. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm just like you. I do a lot of these things and I'm always, as I approach, I'm always looking around for people that are waiting by other cars or, or whatnot and, um, seeing who's hanging out in the parking lots and stuff like that. And if it's not an area that, you know, um, you can, that is, uh, accessible to a lot of people. I had one guy that said, Hey, meet me. I'm, I'm parked back here. I'm behind the McDonald's. And I said, well, why don't you park in the parking lot? No, there's too many people up there. I said. All right. See you later. Because that's the point. I, yeah, that's. I'm not going to park <laughs> it in the back where it's dark by a dumpster that no one can see. You think I'm stupid? Like, come on. So yeah. Yep. yep. Good thoughts, man. You know, I mean, yeah, lots
0: of little things, uh, and and I think that's probably. I mean, this we could get into a whole discussion about situational awareness, right? I mean, that's if 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 you are going to do something like this, uh, meet up somebody to do a Craigslist deal or something then have you you really need to have good situational awareness skills and if something just doesn't seem quite right if something seems a little bit out of place or whatever nix the deal you know mm-hmm. uh because those sometimes it's a gut feeling and you got to trust that we, we may see in in the in the case of this story we may be seeing something where this lady was so excited to get this phone right it's almost like an impulse type buy you know where impulse buying is quite literally, I mean, like, it's, it's that uh, literal of a definition. You, you go to a store, you're impulsed to buy something, and you can't stop yourself from doing so. You've got to be able to stop yourself from going through with a meetup in, in situations like this uh, if something isn't, doesn't seem quite right. Don't let that impulse nature of wanting to get something to buy something overwhelm your situational awareness because it's very easy for it, for it to do for, for to do that. So that'd be another little kind of tip that I would mention along with that final story today. This one's a little different than you would expect, uh, but it's a good story. KSL.com. This is out of Salt Lake city, uh, specifically South Jordan, which is a suburb of Salt Lake police, say $1,000 reward offered in locating man who struck women with baseball bat. I'm not going to get into all the details about the, the main crime that occurred here, okay? But what we know is there's this one dude, Salvador Valdez, that basically he beat up two women with a metal baseball bat in a parking lot of a sizzler, it says. Here's the key. He then charged at two other bystanders with the bat as they were attempting to intervene. So they both drew firearms and Valdez fled in a white Pontiac Grand Prix, according to charging documents. Witnesses say he struck a parked suburban as he fled the scene. That, that's it. Like, that's the story right there as far as I'm concerned, Matthew. Like, that is freaking crazy. It, but it's, it's really good too because, I mean, we have a, a, a random event we don't even know necessarily maybe what all the motive motives were here. You know, the, the motivations behind this guy that led him to beat up these two women with his bat. All right. It doesn't really matter, but we had two bystanders that were willing to try to, to stop what was happening. And it didn't say that they were drawing their firearms and running over. Exactly. It said that they were getting ready to intervene.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then he turned towards them with a the bat And they're like, oh, hey, we just entered, you know, a whole new level here, bro. And out came the guns. And and that was all it took for him to go, okay, I'm out of here. Exactly. This is the essence of self-defense and protection. And And the right way to do it. Oh, totally. Totally. Absolutely. I love this story because what would have happened otherwise? These two dudes probably would have gotten beat up with the same metal baseball bat.
1: Mm-hmm. Is and a baseball bat in there. Yeah.
0: right? Is a baseball bat a deadly weapon, Matthew?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yep. So, are they justified drawing their weapons in this instance?
1: Without a doubt. Yeah, pretty much. And, and they had the restraint not to shoot, which is really good. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, you know, the, the particulars, but you know, it, it shows exactly why being armed. Where, where people say, you know, armed society is a polite society, whatever. Yeah. Um, but but people always say, you know, guns are only used, you know, to kill people. But if you look at it, there are a lot of situations like this where just having the firearm, you know, and, and I'm not saying use the firearm as as a, you know, a scare tactic, but w- there are plenty of times where just right. brandishing the firearm uh, you know, stops, stops the assault. So in this, in this case, you know, like you said, it's so important that they went over to intervene. Like, Hey dude, we don't know what's going on here, but you're hitting somebody with a baseball bat. We're going to stop it. Right. And they didn't go guns ablazing. They went over there. They didn't pull out a badge like in the, in the uh, Andrew Branca case. Right. They didn't, they weren't, you know, ego filled. Like I needed, you know, use my gun. They go over there. They're going to try to stop. It, and this guy, the maniac turns is going to hit them with a bat. And he's like, okay, now game's on dude. And yep. they had the restraint not to shoot him. So, you know, I, I, I think this is, this is a really important lesson as far as, you know, how to respond. If you're responding on the behalf of somebody else or intervening on somebody else's behalf, but you don't really know the situation. Um, it, it, it's up to you if you're going to make that decision to intervene. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough call, but this, these guys did, did a good job. Yeah, it's a great story. Uh, the picture's cool. Yeah. The guy looks really cool. <laughs> so
0: this is the essence of concealed carry in self-defense. I mean, this is why we do what we do and why we're passionate about what we do. Because lives are impacted in a positive way by law abiding citizens that are able to put a stop to and you know, prevent bad things from happening to good people. I hate when I hear language like, you know, good guys with a gun, don't stop bad guys with a gun. Um, this guy didn't even have a gun, right? It doesn't, the gun's not what's important. So I, I much prefer to say good guys stopping bad guys. And it happens every day in this country. And usually it happens because they're able to defend themselves with a gun, and it stops all manner of of assaults and fights and killings and rapes. And I mean, you know, you you guys, uh, longtime listeners of the podcast, I mean, how many hundreds now of stories have we shared where this is the case? It 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 just fires me up, Matthew. Like this is what it's all about. This is this is. This is the cool, you know, part of our job is to see this kind of stuff in action and how it saves lives. So hence, you know, a few episodes ago, we changed the name of this segment from the justified segment to our justified saves segment where people in a justified use of deadly force save themselves or others. Because it happens all the time, and people need to know, and they need, they need to hear about this. This crap does not get reported. I mean, yeah, we, we pull these stories from local news sources, and that's the extent of them. They get a little bit of you know they get a, a quick 30-second mention on the five o'clock news in whatever local market that you're in, and that's it, everybody forgets about it, and they move on to the next thing. right? Or, how many other incidents aren't even reported? I could tell you there are many instances that are not reported at all, and I know that for a fact because I've had, I've known, I've heard of people that went through a certain experience, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to find that news story, you know, because that's a crazy story, you know, and you can't find anything. So you know that kind of stuff happens and doesn't get any reporting on it. Well, guys, we're at the point where we've got to wrap it up for today, and we thank all of you for joining us in this episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, probably hasn't been my finest episode. I've been really distracted today. I've got a lot going on. Uh, kids are home with spring break, all this craziness, right? Um, anyway, just a quick reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. So go check out guardiannation.com. We'd appreciate your support. of, And, and we, we just would love to see you as part of the nation. And some of you Hmm. 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 There's opportunities to get really cool things like this. That's a sweet little challenge coin. We don't even advertise what this has to do. You know what this what this is uh, involved uh, with the Guardian Nation. But but the, this challenge coin that I'm holding up is something. Hmm. I just like to tease that a little bit, and also the Cert Pocket Pistol. So go check that out as well. So we are going to wrap it up. Matthew, thank you for, thanks for being a part of this episode again today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: And so with that, everyone, we will bid, bid you farewell till next time. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Seriously, take care and be safe out there. <laughs>